All right. Uh, in real time, episode two, uh, Stan Cox is chronicling at the blog of um, City Lights. City Lights books. He's doing a monthly dispatch on, you know, the inevitable crushing decline of civilization. <laughs> uh, and, you know, uh, I, I just wanted to join in on this upbeat um, analysis of Stan's. So I, I said every month, Stan is going to come over and we're going to talk about his dispatches. Um, and meanwhile, I've been um, trying to reformulate environmentalism. <laughs> I've been trying, I've, I've decided to take on the humble task of trying to completely reformulate uh, environmentalism because I think uh, it's, it's in uh, uh, some dead ends. And uh, so uh, every time Stan talks about his dispatch, I'm going to talk about what I've been working on uh, on the environmental file. So, so Stan, welcome. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward uh, to it. I was reading your dispatch and I noticed a, a distinct lack of vehicular homicide in it. There was only one paragraph <laughs> about vehicular homicide. I'm, like, what I'm uh, waiting. There's, I'm going to have a, a full dispatch um, okay, okay. Through, the, the whole subject of uh, vehicular homicide. Great, great. Um, so I wanted to talk about um, kind of like the opening of uh, this argument that I'm trying to make, which is that there are certain habits of thought that are characteristic of what you could call like Western environmentalism. So I'd say Western environmentalism traces either back to uh, Rachel Carson. So Every, everything was, was, you know, everybody was oblivious to environmental issues. And then boom, Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring. And then all of a sudden, uh, environmentalism became a thing. Or uh, if they go back further, it would be like the Conservation Corps, um, Theodore Roosevelt, maybe a little bit of the old uh, Walden um, by Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> And that would be the other way of uh, looking at environmentalism. And in both cases, and I, I don't think like uh, there's like a sharp break between Carson's, you know, stuff and, uh, and the 19th century stuff. But in all of these cases, I see three things that I think are kind of bad. One is, you know, apocalypticism, like this is all going to come to an end, which you know, you would think is like your thing, your thing has an element of like, there's a deadline, right? So right. the deadline, what I view as a deadline, I view all deadlines as kind of artificial. And maybe that's because I'm a professor and my students see deadlines as artificial. And so I've had to realize that any deadline can be, must be flexible. Um, but it's also like anytime you have a project, it's good to have a deadline. So we have a project here of, of dealing with the atmosphere. And, and when you have a project, you should set a deadline. So that, that sort of, you know, that's fine with me, that part of it. But the apocalypticism of it is like, you know, if the world is gonna end, it actually could cause you to behave less responsibly rather than more responsibly. Uh, because right. you're just, uh, you're, you know, it's, and, and I've actually read like David Stannard's book, American Holocaust, uh, about, you know, the European, um, devastation of indigenous peoples in the Americas. 
he said he says that the Spanish, when they came to the Americas, had a lot of apocalypticism, like Christopher Columbus and all those people believed that the world was going to end imminently. And part oh. of the reason they were so slaughter happy was because they figured it was all just, you know, the, this <laughs> earthly plane was going to be over soon. So that I think is one bad thing. And then, of course, there's the Malthusianism, which is like, comes out as there's too many people on the planet, but inevitably ends up being like, there's too many round people in Asia yeah. and Africa, right? Um, and uh, you have a little bit of a critique of that in this dispatch that we can talk about too. Uh, but, um, you know, the whole population debate comes goes back to this figure, Malthus, who is some kind of an economist, but when you read Michael Hudson, you see that, he didn't even really mean what he was saying. So he was arguing that the poor would just eat any gain you made in agricultural gain, they would just multiply and eat all that away. So you would never be able to accumulate a surplus just based on um, agricultural uh, efficiency. And the thing that people don't realize is he was in a debate with a specific other person, which is David Ricardo, and he was debating about a specific policy, which was the corn laws, which was whether or not England was going to import food from continental Europe and India, like its colonies, and get rid of its tariff to uh, no longer protect food prices that are produced uh, in England. So the idea was if they don't protect it, cheaper food will come, and the cheaper food will then make it possible for um, prices to go down, industrial um, workers to eat cheaper, and therefore wages can be kept lower, profits can be higher, and uh, interest can be higher, and the banks can get paid. So um, David Ricardo was kind of working for the industrialists and the banks, and he was arguing to repeal the corn laws. Um, and Malthus was working for the large landowners who uh, didn't want uh, to compete with uh, with foreign grain. Uh, and so he made the argument that no, you can't do this because it's not going to work anyway. So it wasn't even a scientific investigation. It was a kind of an interested debate about a specific yeah. law. And we are so stupid that we've turned this into some kind of uh, scientific doctrine, um, which is, you know, which is just, and it's, it's very bad. It's very bad. Um, <laughs> to analyze environmental problems this way, um, you know, and again, it takes attention away from uh, the political forces and the economic forces, which you're going to describe a little bit in your dispatch today. Uh, you call them the oily authoritarians. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I have that, that bothers me, and I, I don't have like a person to attach to it in the same way as Malthusianism or Christopher Columbus um, with apocalypticism, but it's like misanthropy. So what I mean by that is like, there's a kind of environmentalism where anything you do or use or eat, you're supposed to feel bad about, which is like ultimately feeling bad for existing. Like you use wood or you use metal, you use you know, food, which is taking away from other species or destroying hab you're on land that destroys habitat for other species and so on. And so it kind of, it's very immobilizing. Uh, and it, 
it also has this element of if everything is bad, then you might as well just do whatever you feel like anyway. Um, so there's no way to separate a bad policy from a good policy um, in that case. So um, where does that leave us? So if, if I develop this critique uh, of so-called, what, what, whatever you want to call it, like Western environmentalism, um, I think it leaves us with, you know, you've got to go back to various sustainable pre-colonial um, societies and the way that they managed their relationship with the natural world. So in the Americas, there's indigenous people. In Asia, there's all kinds of indigenous people, but all kinds of uh, sustainable practices that they had in agriculture. Um, and then, you know, looking at industry differently as well. Uh, and, and things like planned economies, um, you know, a, a lot of the things that you've talked about before, whether it's rationing, um, how you allocate scarce resources, um, and, and, you know, all, a lot of these roads lead back to what the relationship between economic planning and markets uh, and political power is uh, and regulation. So all of those tools um, become viable only if you don't accept that these kinds of things are inevitable, that this happens no matter what we do, that humans are bad, that humans multiply infinitely and destroy everything no matter, you know, and can't have no ability to consciously decide what we do. So that's my story. Stan, what do you think? Um. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're Stan Cox. Uh, your reaction, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that's uh, very true. Um, the problem we face is um, that you know certainly there are societies that have, and then still a, a few that still do live more or less in uh, harmony with nature, but they. Um, they didn't do what we're trying to do. They kind of evolved uh, kind of up to that level and that standard of living in, in that um, happy state, whereas it, trying to um, stop what, um, what we're doing now, now that you know, every, you know, everybody is on, on this treadmill and we've locked in so much, by the way, we, our built environment and transportation and so forth is, has developed. Um, how do we, uh, as a, a society, and, and, and especially how do governments uh, responding to voters, how do they um, uh, get society onto uh, a path that is going to fit within uh, ecological limits, which I, I believe, as you said, um, does involve um, capping uh, the throughput of uh, material resources um, and uh, planning how we use the resources we do and, and doing it in a, a fair and, and just way. Um, that's uh, Quite a challenge, uh, but it, it's something that I, I feel like we, we have to have out there as 
the uh, standard um, for uh, yeah. what we're going to do. I mean, I this is this is one reason I think uh, you know what you're doing with the dispatches and what you've done in your books. Like any way you slice it, um, losing our cool, the Green New Deal and beyond um, is. It, it, you know, like I, you, it's one thing to say, like, learn from pre-colonial societies, uh, but like you have a lot of, you know, a real, a lot of realism about, you know, where we are now and, you know, the kind of industrial society that we have and how, what kinds of things have to happen in this society that we have to get us to where we need to be. So uh, you've got some bad news for us. <laughs> <laughs> your, your dispatch is called onslaught of the oily authoritarians. So what is this, what is this onslaught stand? Well, the, uh, in, in this uh, dispatch, I kind of go into uh, more detail about about how this um, uh, the situation is evolving, in which um, the the very structures of um, representative government that we have um, in in this country, and and, and most of them we've had for you know, 240 years, um, are vulnerable to. Um, uh, anti-democratic um, uh, you know, would-be uh, autocrats um, can, in a perfectly uh, technically legal way, can cement control over um, the, uh, all three branches of uh, government at the federal level and have basically already done that in uh, quite a few states. And, um, and once they're um, in the driver's seat, the history of um, authoritarian and autocratic governments um, shows that they can um, keep it that way for a, a very long time. Um, so Stan, you, you talk a little bit about what happened with, there was some kind of agenda of uh, stronger voting rights and climate change that in Congress, but it kind of failed in the Senate. Is this? Uh, yeah, it wasn't. Well, the, the uh, voting There wasn't rights... like a package, was there? There wasn't like some package of legislation that almost passed or anything. It was more but, of a, yeah. yeah well, yeah, for um, voting rights and, and election reform, there were you know, three different uh, bills that, and, um, and one of them was uh, this omnibus bill that really did um, cover a lot of stuff. Um, and then they backed off in, in not being able to pass that um, because of uh, mansion and cinema and so forth. They uh, kept backing off until you know they had these other bills. And now none of them, because of the filibuster, that none of them um, are going to get passed. Now, um, it's, and, and of course, the reason the Democrats are pushing them is totally utilitarian because they um, need the votes of, um, of uh, 
Black, uh, Latino, uh, Indigenous people uh, to win. Uh, and the reason that the, uh, the Republicans are wanting to um, uh, head for um, one party you know, uh, white rule is that um, they know that uh, white people are going to be in in a minority uh, very very yeah. soon. <laughs> I remember. Do a, do a majority of white people vote Republican? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, in the last yeah, election. Yeah, yeah. Um, a majority. Um, yeah, in fact, um, yeah, in, in presidential elections, I think um, uh, the last Democrat to win a majority of the white vote was Jimmy Carter. Oh, wow. That was <laughs> a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so we, we have one party for its own purposes is um, has been at least trying to um, ensure that ins that we move from this uh, very uh, imperfect and, and uh, unjust um, uh, pretend to be democracy that we have now toward uh, you know, full um, multiracial democracy. Um, and, um, and then we have uh, going the other direction um, is the party wanting to um, have a white minority rule. And, um, and we're probably going to go one way or the other. That's what these uh, experts are saying, that we're, we're carrying on as we are right now probably isn't going to happen. So, you know, you have this, you know, the first thing you talk about is the, the failure of these things at the federal level, but then yeah. you've got some really scary stuff about what's going on <laughs> at the state level. Yeah. Do you want to talk about <laughs> that stuff? Right. Um, and a lot of this, um, well, it has to do with um, uh, the threat to federal elections that is uh, coming from the states um, who are, um, well, if you think back to uh, 2020, the, it was uh, officials in uh, several uh, swing states who were, um, who's, um, you know, just a handful of people who prevented this uh, legal coup from actually happening, who stood up to uh, to the Trump people and, and said, no, I'm not going to um, uh, um, refuse to um, certify that uh, Biden won the, or, uh, won the election in, in my state or my county. Um, all of those people in, in these crucial states which have Republican legislatures are being replaced by people who would do just what uh, these uh, um, people didn't do last time. Um, and then, but then they're going further um, in uh, some states that with Republican legislatures, they're um, trying to change the law, which, uh, which says that, um, that the 
final decision on which electors that the um, that the state sends in, in uh, to the electoral college in favor of one candidate or the, another. The, the final word on that is from the Secretary of State or the um, governor. Uh, in addition to some you know, kind of insurrectionist types running for um, Secretary of State in most of these states, you also have legislatures who are wanting to change the law. Well, and why, is the, <laughs> why is the Secretary of State position so important? Because that was kind of surprising <laughs> to me when I read that. <laughs> But because it's um, it's considered you know, until the past few years, election administration was considered a, a you know, purely um, kind of rote thing, very boring job, and it, it wasn't uh, thought that, uh, that uh, there would be any you know, that you, you simply count the votes, and then the Secretary of State says, well. It's less than a half percent difference, so we have to have a recount and do a recount and whatever. But um, uh, now, now it appears that um, that you could have people in there who are just going to uh, go rogue. Um, but just in case um, that that doesn't work, the um, these uh, Republican legislatures are wanting to take the selection of electors on, on themselves so that they, um, whatever, however the vote goes, um, that it's in the end, it's the legislature who uh, decides uh, who gets the electors. And then they're using this vague, the, the constitution and, and amendments and so, and court rulings are kind of a mess. So um, it's, they, they can find, um, pretext for uh, doing this and, and it, it's quite so, possible they could get away with it. So is the democratic strategy a big d uppercase D I suppose first um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, to just like challenge each of these things legally and just kind of fight the battle <laughs> in the courts? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's where it's going to end up because the states who are doing this, they've got Republican legislature, Republican governor. And so, um, you know, they can pass pretty much, uh, pretty much anything. They don't have, you know, it's not going to get uh, vetoed. Um, and so uh, then that means going to the courts. And um, as, as we see here recently, we can, expect probably no relief uh, once it uh, gets to the Supreme Court. Four of the um, justices have already said that they are, they've endorsed this thing called the um, uh, independent state legislature doctrine, which says that they are, uh, that the legislatures can determine um, Pretty much everything about elections, and so the court has upheld that doctrine in gerrymandering cases, and uh, they would very likely uh, uphold it in, in this as well. And then, um, so 
I guess <laughs> the last <laughs> thing you can try to do is protest. And I think you talked about this uh, last time, but <laughs> there are all these, uh, they've, they've got a plan for that as well, right? Uh, right. And, and, uh, and, and this is where um, the, this problem with the, the kind of crumbling of the Republic as we know it and uh, climate uh, uh, protests kind of uh, intersect because um, there are uh, you know, all these things that um, states are uh, planning to do. Um, and, and in the case of, um, of protest, uh, all seem to have a lot of connections to uh, uh, fossil fuel burning. And, and so I mean, a lot of this has been passed in the wake of the, um, the earlier, uh, the early Black Lives Matter movement and then the, the summer of uh, 2020, but also the uh, indigenous uh, protest against uh, pipelines and so forth. So a lot of these um, uh, new laws or, or bills that haven't passed yet are um, uh, saying things like um, it's a felony to uh, protest, uh, in, you know, totally nonviolent protest anywhere in the vicinity of a pipeline or power plant or other fossil fuel re related um, uh, facility. Um, there, ones, uh, a lot of them say uh, that you could basically be near a protest and, and be jaywalking and uh, be impeding traffic and uh, you could be uh, jailed uh, for that. And, and I think that uh, the January 6th has created a big problem uh, for our side because now um, any kind of mass protest, uh, you know, nonviolent or not, is, um, you know, the, uh, the authorities are and, and the other side are going to say, well, you know, you, I thought you didn't like people uh, you know, expressing their, uh, you know, peaceably assembling for the redress of grievances. And so, um, you know, this is, um, we're not going to uh, tolerate this. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's interesting to see the way um, that's about those exact arguments are are being made on the right, right? Like they're basically, yeah. um, they're basically <laughs> they're accusing uh, protesters of violence before yeah. protests have even right. happened for the most part. Yeah, um, and Democrats. So it's and it's also interesting because you know. Um, when you look at like what's going on on Fox News or like the pair, there's like a real parallel universe problem where <laughs> they're accusing the Democrats of taking over um, and of trying to get rid of like a lot of these gerrymandering um, laws. The Republican pretext is if we don't do this, then the Democrats <laughs> are going to oust us forever from from contention by yeah <laughs> yeah and and they're right uh, right too that yeah. uh i know in is recently as or 2018 a lot of us 
were thinking, okay, it's just a matter of time now. The Republicans are quickly becoming a rump party, a regional party, and they simply can't compete because of uh, demographic change, which, of course, makes made the Democrats lazy, I think. They thought, okay, yeah, we... Um, yeah, we have all these uh, uh, votes from these marginalized communities. We've got those locked up. We, we don't really have to do a lot to get them. So, you know, we kind of you know, ignore the uh, not really pass uh, the kind of legis legislation that those voters need. And they're going to vote for us uh, anyway. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but still, yeah, even then, um, I don't think anybody, well, ev I think everybody expected the, um, the um, you know, white right to um, try to do something, but uh, nobody expected it could potentially be as easy as, as it appears. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it. it's striking <laughs> because, you know, I mean, it's, it's striking to me one thing that's really striking about this dispatch uh, is how it's the like the U.S. is headed to basically having an electoral system entirely based on voter suppression. Like it's so it's <laughs> it's a it's there's like a there's like a complexity. There's always this <laughs> complexity to like this is what I love about Americans. I love this about the Academy. I love this about everything. It's like anything, nothing is simple, right? It's like, you know, uh, you can you can think of like losing weight by eating fewer calories. And they're like, no, 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 no. Actually, that's no, that's it's much more complicated than that. You have to eat less carbs and more fat and don't jog and eat bacon. I mean, there's just... So you can, it's this incredible complexity. Yeah. So apparently, you know, voting, <laughs> yeah. right? it's not a matter yeah. of everybody having a vote. Like yeah. that's, not, that's not how the system works. So yeah, um, yeah it, but the vote, the suppression of the majority vote is, is the basis of the system increasingly. And that's, I guess, yeah. where, where things yeah. seem to be headed. <laughs> Yeah, and it's a head-spinning thing because uh, because of the pandemic in, in 2020, they suddenly, uh, states and pretty much across the country made it much easier to vote, at much fairer. Um, they they um, kind of relieved a, a lot of the discriminatory things about voting itself. And so, and, and then we, you know, we, we saw what they, you know, everybody, agrees was the, the uh, fat freest and fairest uh, election we've had so far um, and and so I think that kind of accelerated the um, efforts on, on the right to mm -hmm. uh, do something about this and, you know, and this, that was uh, Trump's whole um, message maybe well, there was a, you know there was another shooting um you know one of these mass shootings at a children's mm -hmm. baseball game in charleston south carolina i saw this uh, video of it on april 26th and someone had this proposal so see if let's see who get how many people get the joke so this guy uh, had a proposal on twitter it says you proposal you can only purchase a gun one time every two years it can only be a tuesday in november you must go and wait in line 
There's only one place <laughs> in your county. You must have multiple forms of ID. No one can give you water while you wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so that's the difference in the way we treat gun rights and voting. <laughs> would that be would that suppress the vote? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, would that suppress the guns? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Efficiently, yeah. probably, right? <laughs> yeah. And and then the, the backup plan to voter suppression is uh, votes votes being uh, meaningless. And and there, there there's a reason yeah. that um that all of uh, Fox News and a lot of um, you know, people in Congress mm -hmm. uh, keep talking about Hungary and Orban and how you know, what a great yeah. uh, situation yeah, that, that is, yeah. because um, he he and his party um, pulled it off by perfectly legal means. They managed uh, over a decade to um, take you know, all the meaning out of voting and. Uh, cement their position for well who knows yeah, how long I mean, modi in india is interesting too right? yeah like they're right. uh, you know i was thinking about like congress congress was in power at the center for most you know with a with a blip in the 70s like most yeah. of the 50 years right from independence to 1999 or something 1998 or 99 and then they were back for a little while but i think modi's going for yeah. you know that kind of the next 50 years yeah. <laughs> um, transforming india so yeah i mean it, it's it, it, i don't know i don't know what i i don't i don't know whether we get the same message out of this like for me it's it's kind of like um it's it's a little bit cynicism inducing for me where i don't really i don't really think this system has any legitimacy so it's um you know, it's 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 not uh, like all the claims of democracy are pretty hollow. Um, it's just some kind of procedural, procedurally complicated uh, system based on electoral legitimation of of what they're going to do, of who they are anyway, and what they're going to yeah. do anyway. So, uh, um, yeah, but I think that, it, that we have this um, large uh, portion of our uh, population, more than 40% now, who have never um, had access even to the flawed uh, system yeah. we have. And, and so I, I just, I think, you know, we, we've got to um, take their side and, and say, um, if we do you know, go down the road to tyranny, then um, then the, the chances of that are, are zero. Um, and um, yeah, if we don't, if if we manage to forestall that, then the, the chances are non-zero. <laughs> mm -hmm. It may, may not be great, but I think we have to be on that side. So are you, um, you're following events, so you don't know what your next dispatch is going to be. Is that right? Uh, no, I, you know, I have backup plans in, in case things get really boring in the news, which <laughs> they, don't, they, they don't seem to be. But, uh, but this, um, this next one I am um, going to start doing, like I, as I've been promising, is looking for some uh, for good uh, examples of 
what climate, uh, the kind of climate action that um, could be of um, much greater importance if things go the wrong way politically. In other words, uh, uh, climate uh, action that's more of uh, local and uh, regional um, and collective action uh, that um, could be the kind of thing that we would be, um, that we're going to have to focus on if we have you know, zero in influence at the federal level. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'll probably talk about planning then. I'll probably talk about central yeah. planning. <laughs> oh, excellent. that'll be a good compliment I, to your. I, I, uh, I love to talk about central planning. I, I wrote a book about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs>